Welcome to another episode of Strange Days Live. I am your host, Doc, here at February 20th, Tuesday, 2024, transmitting live from Southern California on this rainy day. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys had a good day today. Today, I'm going to be diving into the legend of the urban legends. So I'll be discussing, uh, kind of going on the theme of discussing the lesser known urban legends. You know, we all know the guy who woke up in the bathtub with the little sign saying, call the hospital, we took one of your kidneys, or the hitchhiking girl that tells somebody to take her home, and when they get home, they found out that she had been passed away for a long time, or all the other typical urban legends. But today, I want to discuss the urban legends that are less uh, common, sort of in the whole uh, ideal of the shows that we've been doing recently about the less common things or the lesser known, if you will. So with that being said, hope you guys are doing well Um, and hope you guys are uh, getting uh, tidy, tidy to hear this uh, broadcast. For most of the people that hear it on the go, I appreciate you. Thank you. Well, we have... uh, PodServe, uh, which is a distributor of podcasts, so we're, our, our podcast you can found can be found anywhere under Strange Days Paranormal, as opposed to Strange Days Live. Also, uh, like our channel and recommend it to your friends. Find us in TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Strange Days Live. Please subscribe to those avenues as well, as you get some kind of weird content at one time or another. And uh, yeah, if you're a podcasting uh, fanatic, you can find us in Spotify, Amazon, or basically we have our our show about broadcast uh, available in about 50 different podcasting uh, applications or programs. So yeah, let me go here. And if you guys want to join the show, I always offer, but no takers. I'll post the link. Uh, on our YouTube channel. And if you're listening to YouTube, it's youtube.com forward slash at sign at strange days live. Okay. So, hey, DJ Mike, good to see you, man. I haven't seen you here in quite a while. Hope you're doing well, Mike. Your presence is always welcome in our show. Thank you for coming. So what kind of urban legends Let's see, there's a bunch of them that we all have heard. Um, yeah, this was common one, the aerial water bomber, picking up a, school, a scuba diver, that's pretty common. We all know that one. That was about the unfortunate guy who's scuba diving at a local lake and he gets scooped up by a, by a water bomber, which are these airplanes that, you know, put out fires and then somebody finds the skeletons of a guy fully dressed and scoop a year, and then they find out that he was this unfortunate soul that got scooped up. These are pretty, you know, urban legends in themselves are pretty fun. Um, 
in it, it, it's funny how they bake it into like the matrix of uh, of our consciousness. Somebody just comes up with uh, with something, and then they just add on the story, and then it takes a life of its own. Let's see here. Uh, this was a kind of cool one, and I, I'm going to keep them short, okay? Um, just for the for the sake of time, I might also do another show on this. We'll see how you guys like it. This is called the Baby Train Herbal Legend. Uh, the baby train, or simply baby train, is an herbal legend actually told in the U.S. and the U.K. and in Australia. So the first uh, occurrence of this legend happened, uh, it, it was documented in a, in a novel by a writer by the name of Christopher Morley. The novel is called Kitty Foil. And according to this legend, a certain small town that had an unusually high birth rate. This was allegedly caused by a freight train that passed through the town and blow its whistle while waking up the residents in their early morning hours. Since it was too late to go back to sleep and too early to go to work, couples got busy. And they this resulted kind of in a mini baby boom. So you have a town in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden this town, people start having babies left and right. And then uh, somebody says, hey, it's probably the five o'clock in the morning train that blows its horn wakes up a lot of people you know they don't want to go back to bed because they have to be in work in an hour so what do they do they waste time and uh you know they engage <laughs> and then a few nine months later you start seeing a lot of baby boomers i've never heard this uh prior to me reading this before it, it's i think it's, it's it's a cool and it's a funny uh it's a funny urban legend so yeah uh, one version of this particular myth, I uh, like. It was written uh, by an Australian author in a collection of uh, Australian tales. Uh, this town actually w- was in the north of Sydney, Australia, and the birth rate here was three times higher than the average of the rest of Australia. Um, the people, yeah. So let's see here. The particular town was right by the main railway line. The train was delivering mail pass, so it would it would blow the, the horn. That's a cool one, right? Never heard that one before. That's called Baby Train or The Baby Train. Um, this is kind of popular, but maybe with the with the older folks, uh, I tend to draw in like an older crowd. I'll, I'll discuss it because it's kind of it's pretty interesting. This is called the Back Rooms. Uh, it's basically a fictional concept originating from a creepy pasta. And uh, creepypasta is basically a, like a horror-related legend which has been shared around the internet. And um, you know, the it sort of think about the, as the urban legends of the internet that that's considered a creepy pasta. Uh, you know, so now that the term has really kind of been a catch-all term for any horror content that's posted into the internet, but. Um, you know, like you have your Slenderman case, uh, uh, Ted the Caver, Sonic.exe. All these are, are uh, creepypasta stories. Might do a show on creepypasta maybe uh, sometime during the week. But the, so the backrooms originated as a creepypasta. And it was originally posted on a, on a community that's called 4chan. It's sort of like your Reddit community. And uh, but they're more permissible uh, with the kind of stuff that you can post. So in a 2019 thread on 4chan, they started posting this about the back rooms. One of the best uh, known examples of the internet aesthetic of liminal spaces, if you will, which depicts usually a busy location as unnaturally empty. Uh, 
So think about you being in the middle of the busiest mall close to your town and all of a sudden that mall, you're there like let's say at two in the morning. So that would be a liminal space, okay? It's a feeling you get from a place that's usually crowded and now it's, you know, devoid of any kind of human activity. Um, so the back rooms usually, it looks uh, it looks like if, you, let's say that you went to a local hotel, you know how the hotels have like these huge rooms where you can hold a conference or you can have a meeting? So just pretend like there's a, a million ba a million of these rooms connected to one another. And so you kind of wander and travel through these rooms. And, and that's what the back rooms are. Um, so going back to the original, the origin of the story, the back rooms were, were first described as a maze of empty office rooms that can only be entered by non-clipping out of reality. No clipping, I'm sorry. So... Um, no clipping uh, usually it's a, it's a terminology that's um that's created by the the gamers it's it's a, it's a gamer um language right or yeah terminology if you will and um as the popularity of, of this internet uh, phenomena, the backroom screw internet users uh, expanded upon the original concept by creating, the, creating different levels and entities which actually inhabit the backrooms. There were fan-made video games where you enter upon this backroom. There's collaborative fiction tales, wikis, YouTube videos have also been created in a series of horror shorts created by a YouTuber named Ken, uh, Kane Parsons in 2022. It's actually credited with further popularizing the urban legend of the backrooms and making it a uh, goal kind of mainstream. He's actually slated to direct a film adaptation of his backroom videos. So a cross between like, you know, um, like a hotel... Um, like a hotel meeting room and or like an empty office building that that's what it kind of looks like um so as far as uh, some sources believe that the back rooms to have been the origin of uh of a tiktok trend that actually zoomed in on google earth and relieved uh, the entrance to a back room there's um yeah, these are kind of cool. If, if you look at videos online, there'll be like people entering the back rooms doing silly things. Sometimes they like reverse the camera or, you know, if you're familiar with the show Strange uh, Strange Things, Stranger Things, uh, it's like the upside, if you will. Like it'll be like a reversal of the world. Or um, if you watch the movie The Matrix, the back rooms will be probably like reality and then we all live in The Matrix. So it, it's a weird kind of connection to our consciousness if you if you if you will <laughs> let's see Michaela how are you good to have you here robot clean good to have you here as well it's kind of keeping up with the chat room at the same time so that's one of the uh, newer urban legends if you will um, let's see what else we can do here so that's the back rooms Yeah, that one. So that we have the babysitter and the man upstairs. It's a classic one, you know. The babysitter starts getting these calls from the stalker who continues to ask her to check the children, and then turns out that the caller is calling from within the house. Um, 
the bell witch let's see here let's see about the urban legend of the bell witch so the bell witch of the or the bell witch haunting is a legend from southern united states folklore centered on the 19th century bell family of northwest robertson county tennessee farmer john bell senior resided with his family along the red river in an area currently near the town of adams according to the legend from uh, 1870 to 1821 his family and the local area came under attack by a mostly invisible invisible entity that was able to speak affect the physical environment and shapeshift some accounts record the spirit also to have been clairvoyant and capable of crossing long distances with superhuman speed or the ability to be in um, more than one places at once. So in 1894, newspaper editor Martin Ingram published his Authenticated History of the Bell Witch. The book is widely regarded as the first full-length record of the legend and a particular source for subsequent treatments of this uh, story. The individual record uh, recorded in the work were known uh, historically personalities. In modern times, some skeptics have regarded Ingram's effort as a work of historical fiction or simply a fraud. But there's other researchers that actually continue to consider Ingram's work as, you know, as folklore uh, study, basically, in an accurate reflection of belief in the region during the 19th century. So all these beliefs from this particular uh, place in history were sort of attributed to one family and then the story was born within you know so that's that's a pretty good way of of um of incorporating myth into the the consciousness uh and in the book written by mr uh, ingram um he published that the poster guys or the entity's name was kate after the entity claimed at one point to be old kate bats which and continue to respond favorably to that particular name the physical activity centered on the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy, and her father um, and Kate expressed particular displeasure when Betsy became engaged to a local named Joshua Gardner. So there's hauntings that began sometimes in 1817 when John Bell witnessed the apparition of a strange creature resembling a dog with the head of a rabbit. Bell uh, fired at the animal, but it disappeared. And then John's sons, the Drew Bell, approached an unknown bird perched on a fence that flew off and was an extraordinary size. So the, these kind of shape-shifting things were, were visible in the field. The daughter Betsy observed the girl in green dress swinging from the limb of an oak tree. And then there's a person named Dean who was actually uh, enslaved by the Bell family. And he also reported being followed by uh, all these entities, a black dog, he said on one evening when he was visiting visiting his wife. Some of the activity that was outdoors actually moved indoors into the Bell's house eventually and family started experiencing weird phenomena. This is when the family reached out and turned to a family friend named James Johnson for help. Uh, um, Johnson eventually told uh, John Bell that he, he believed that it was a spirit just like in the Bible so soon word of the hunting spread and some traveling great distance wanted to actually see this witch and so and that's a kind of like like the the gist of it how this uh, story came to um came to fruition if you will 
and there have been other legends and um as far as you know the um, there's been films that are actually been 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 made uh there was one not actually i'm sorry i regress uh let me just find out the name of the tell yeah there was a, a not, not really a film but it was an um, expedition x was a, a tv show and also a e network made a, i believe they made a, a, a curse of the bell witch a program that you can watch and there's been a lot of books through the years that have been written about this um latest one was in 2016 so pretty strong following <clears throat> let's see this one this is called ben drowned ben drowned this is the name of our next urban legend let me just stand just have to log in and out make sure you guys are doing okay in the back uh in our back rooms huh there's i usually like to read the comments as we go along sometimes you guys have some insight into what i'm talking about so what is ben drowned originally uh published as housed hunted majorga's mass cartridge it's a three-part part multimedia alternate reality game web serial and web series created by alexander d hall under the pen name deducible originating as a creepypasta based on the 2000 action adventure game the legends of zelda majora's mask and the published by hall from 2010 to 2020 was um the series has been known for creating many of the most uh, common tropes and themes of creepypasta that are used nowadays subverting to the theme of the legend of zelda which was uh, <clears throat> originally a nintendo game back in the 1980s and the series uh, finalized on halloween of 2020 <clears throat> so as far as the story uh, there was a a series titled the haunted haunted cartridge which was released in 2010 <clears throat> uh, it's uh, it follows a college sophomore <clears throat> excuse me guys it follows a college sophomore named Jedusabel, which is the, the pen name of the author, who after acquiring a haunted Nintendo 64 video game uh, called Majora's Mask, which was um, a haunted Legends of Zelda game, is plagued over the course of a single week by the presence of seemingly omniscient artificial intelligence called Ben. So there was an AI called Ben who possessed the video game and... Uh, that's one of the stories from this uh, particular Ben Drowned series. The second arc titled Moon Children uh, took place from 2010 to 2011. This one followed the public emergence of a mysterious cult known as the Moon Children who worship the moon by way of human sacrifice. And the third story uh, title arc was called Awakenings, which began in 2020 following new and returning characters who have become involved in multiple events of the current years the third art introduced new scenarios dealing with the aftermath of an in-universe uh, in event in 2018 the caused collapse of civilized society there's been many um backgrounds and publications to it <clears throat> but basically the you know the there's there's three main plots if you want to uh, research just look under ben drowned and you have the the haunted video game then you have the moon children and then you have the awakenings looks like a pretty uh i don't know if this really fits at urban or i mean kind of does but it's you know if it has a if it has somebody that wrote the book and everything 
it's like a soft urban legend, if you will. But uh, I haven't read the book, so I may go into into deep, more deep detail and make some people believe that it's actually a, a real story. Have you guys read read this stuff? If you do, comment. I have I've never read it before, by the way. This is called Black Aggie. It's a folkloric name given to a stature formerly placed on the grave of General Felix Agnes in Druid Ridge Cemetery in Pikesville, Maryland. It is uh, an unauthorized replica of a of a sculpture by uh, Godens, which is um, popularly called and called Nirvana. So somebody created a copy, a replica of a prior sculpture, and um, they place it in a, at a cemetery in Washington, D.C. You know, like when you go to museums and you tend to see, for example, like David, the statue of David, or the thinker, those are all copies of the original. So basically the statue is of a somber seated figure in a crowd, in a cowl or a shroud, okay? So beginning with this installation in 1926, the replica was surrounded by many urban legends, principally that someone spending a night in its lap would be hunted by the ghost of those buried there, and that the spirit of individuals buried at a Druid Ridge would annually convene at the statue. There was no grass would grow on the ground where the statue's shadow would lie during the daytime, or that the statue would animate itself during the night, whether by physically moving or by showing his glowing red eyes, her glowing red, eye, red eyes. These legends led to much unwelcome attention towards the statue, and many people were caught breaking into the cemetery at night to visit it. The pedestal was frequently vandalized as well. The Agnes family, disturbed by the attention the statue was receiving, donated it to the Smithsonian in 1967. It sat there for many years in storage at uh, the Natural Museum of Art, uh, where an authorized recasting of the original Addis Memorial now sits. Black Aggie was moved from her previous home at the museum to the courtyard behind the Dolly Madison House at Lafayette Square in Washington, where she currently stands. So that's where you guys can see it now. The bare blank pedestal remains at the statue's former home at the Druid Ridge Cemetery. So... I guess people would create started creating lore regarding the statue that somebody had built or a replica for to honor their family members or their plot. And, you know, the statue became a distraction. It led to people committing all kinds of um, acts surrounding the statue. The family got fed up and it was such a nice statue. It donated to the Smithsonian and it was Smithsonian. Now it's available for public view in a, in a park or a square. Let's see. The Black Angel. Let's talk about the Black Angel. This is uh, an Oakland cemetery in Iowa City, Iowa. A local famous monument, the two point in the 8.5 foot uh, tall Black Angel status uh, statue by Mario Corbell was erected in 1913 in a memorial to Nicholas Feldebert. So similar to um, what we talked about right now, there's a statue of a black angel. The story of the black angel dates back to the 19th century when Teresa Ferderet moved to Iowa City from Bohemia, which is now, uh, you know, Czech Republic. Her first marriage produced her son, Edward Dolisol, who died in Iowa City in 1891. 
Teresa had the Bronze Angel statue made in Chicago by a Czech-American sculptor, Mario Corbel, and transported it to Iowa to be placed in the cemetery in 1915. Her second husband, Nicholas Feldevert, ashes were placed in a repository at the base of the statue where Teresa died in 1924. Her ashes were also placed beside her husband's. Though the monument displays uh, Teresa's birthday, there is no sign of her death date. And over the years, the bronze statue has oxidized and created this black patina effect to it. Uh, so many students and surrounding residents of Iowa City tend to visit the statue. The biggest night of attraction is Halloween, where students and residents gather around the statue. Some test their luck by touching it or kissing it. It is said that if you... if if one touches or kisses a statue, they will be struck dead unless that person is a virgin. It is also rumored that if a pregnant woman walks beneath the, stat the statue's stretch wings, she will miscarry. Vandals have damaged the statue and removed several of her fingers. The Black Angel appears in a novel and it also has appeared in a 2013 independent paranormal feature film. Footage of the Black Angel is included in the music video for Alice Alive Twice by the band Friendship. So yeah, they attributed some very sad uh, things to this poor statue. Let's see what other... The Black Anis, also known as Black Agnes or Black Anna. This is a boogeyman figure in English folklore. She is imagined as a blue-faced hag or witch with iron claws and a taste for human flesh, especially children. She is said to haunt the countryside of Leicestershire, living in a cave in the Dane Hills with a grain oak tree the great oak tree is the entrance to her home she is said to venture out at night looking for unsuspecting children and lambs to eat then tanning their skins by hanging them on a tree before wearing them around her waist she would reach inside houses to snatch people legend has it that she used to use her iron claws to dig her cave out of the side of a sandstone cliff making herself at home there which is known as black ants Bower's clothes. The legend led to parents warning their kids that Black Annis would get them if they did not behave. She was also known to hide in the branches of her oak tree, waiting to leap upon the uh, unsuspecting prey. Other traditions stated that when she ground her teeth, people could hear her, giving them time to bolt their doors and keep away from the windows. It is said the cottages in this area were purposely built with small windows so the Black Agnes could only get a simple arm inside. When she howled, she could be heard five miles away. Then the cottages would fasten uh, skins across the windows and place protective herbs above to keep themselves safe. Black Agnes. Interesting. I haven't heard that one either. Uh, this is called the Black Volga. There's a lot of Black Volgas, and uh, Volga is actually um, it's a, it's a type of vehicle. So this is uh, it will be like akin to like saying like the black the, the black Honda, 
legend about a particular car and a particular car color. Let me just stand to the... Hey, Clutch, how are you, buddy? Good to have you here. I just got here, but I think what you are describing is the same as a gift from the Pope God. Look very creepy, I will. Mike, glad to be here. I was getting bored with... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you, man. And Clutch, good to have you here, buddy. Good to have you here, all of you guys. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about okay, the Black Volga. So this is a uh, this is a, 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 a urban legend about a black car that kind of tends to drive around town. Um, this is uh, widespread actually in Poland, and Romania, and Hungary, and Russia, and Belarus, and Ukraine, and Greece, and in Mongolia. Mainly in the 60s and the 70s, the legend refers to a black, or in some versions, red, uh, Volga vehicle model. And it looks, you know, um, it looks kind of like a 1950s uh, Ford, um, these Ford cars. Uh, what were they? What was in the middle? Uh, Ford Fleet? No, it wasn't the Fleet Liner. It was, um, you know, like your stereotypical 1950s Ford car. What was it called? What am I thinking about? Well, that's what it looks like. It looks like a miniature version of that car. And um, so I know somebody's going to put it in the comments. Fairline? Fairline, yeah, close. Close enough. <laughs> that's good. Thank, thanks for that, for that um, tip. My brain is kind of fried at the end of work. I apologize. So long story short... Um, this was a, this car, this vehicle, was allegedly used to either abduct or uh, delete people. Delete's the new word for you guys that haven't uh, heard the, the the podcast in a while. I, uh, I can't use the other D word or just you know you you can get the YouTube to ding you someday. You say the word deleting. Yeah, that's not what I'm. I mean, uh, so alleged abduct or deleted people. According to different versions, it was driven by a communist secret police the russian mafia satanists or satan himself the car is described as having white wheel rims white curtains or other white elements black car white curtains or red car with white curtains uh, this impression was also caused by the active use of the passenger car uh, of the gorky automobile plant during the years of mass repression so i guess maybe this car was used for like some kind of gestapo or police so they had started attributing this to a bad deed, bad omen. For the sake of saving money during almost all of its time of its release, uh, the M1 was only available in black paint. So maybe they created this urban legend. The you know the the company that was this was called Volga. I've never heard of this car maker before, but it wouldn't be a bad publicity stunt by the co competition to create a legend around a uh, black Volga, so nobody would buy them. It's pretty wise actually. It would be, uh, you know, if, like if Pepsi started creating a whole urban uh, legend around Coke. That if you drink Coke, uh, you know, at 10.30 at night, you'll die. So if Coke, uh, you heard this and you start using it. If Pepsi, you guys hear this and you start using it, I'm going to claim credit for coming up with it, okay? Supposedly, victims were kidnapped and then uh, deleted by the perpetrator to use their blood as a cure for rich Westerners or Arabs. Yeah. It's funny, these things also, uh, it's... All these things, like, they repeat themselves, you know. It, the, the bad people actually change. At this point, uh, well, 
it depends on what part of the world, but Westerners, Westerners and Arabs, have been, they were the ones who were uh, culpable of creating this vehicle. So and they, they would want your blood for, for to cure uh, people suffering from leukemia. Yeah. Other variants used organ theft as the motive, combining it with another infamous legend of a kidney theft by the KGB. The legend surfaced again in the mid-20th century with a BMW or Mercedes car taking the place of the Volga. The black Volga was sometimes depicted with horns instead of wing mirrors. They could have the number 666 on the license plate as well as having white windows or curtains. It's funny, but if you do research on the number 666, biblically, it's actually the number of man. It's not the number of the devil. Um, so it's kind of like the number of imperfection and 777 would be the the number of perfection of or like a godly number and 666 would be the number of fallen, you know, the man that we cannot attain perfection. In this version with the driver, allegedly the devil would ask passersby for the time, uh, And as the uh, unsuspecting victim would approach the vehicles, they will be deleted by the driver as they approach to answer. In other versions of the legends, the victims would uh, pass away at the same time, a, la a day later. So basically, the guy would stop in a car, ask you, hey, excuse me, sir, what time it is? And you would tell the guy, well, it's 12 o'clock. Okay. Then they would say, tomorrow, you by this hour, you're going to be dead. However, uh, there was an effective defense method when the potential victim answered, it's God's time, the car would quickly vanish. So if you ever get approached by a black 50s car, looking car, a BMW or Mercedes, and somebody asks you for the time, just say, it's God's time. So in God's time, yeah, it's God's time, and the, the car will quickly vanish. In Czechoslovakia, the story appeared in the late 70s as a black ambulance, while in Romania, the Volgas were replaced in the 70s with a model called Dacia. A modified version of this vehicle with several features not available to the public, which was eventually, uh, excuse me, eventually replaced by ambulances. I've never seen a black ambulance, to be honest with you. I'll be kind of, because, you know, I don't... Uh, Okay, so it's called, there's another legend about black ambulances. What do you know? Yeah, um, I would, you know, to me, a black ambulance is more like a hearse, right? And there's a whole, uh, yeah, so that's funny. It's, it's a whole, there's a whole urban legend about black ambulances. And um, let's see here. There's a company called EMSA that actually has black ambulances in the U.S., I think. Okay, uh, so yeah, that's um, that's a whole thing with the black Volga. So if you guys ever get picked up by a black ambulance, think, just be thankful that you have an ambulance there. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Star Tattoo Legend next. One second, guys. I'm going to attend to the... No, it wasn't a fairling, dude. You know what? It, uh, it's my bad. Um, I screwed up. It wasn't a Ford. I'm looking for it's a 50s. Um, what is a typical 50s car? Can't believe my brain is. Yeah, the Bel Air, man. Sorry, guys. It's a Chevy Bel Air. That's what I, that's what the Volga looked like, like a miniature Bel Air in a, in a four doors. Yeah, not the Fairly, but thank you guys for for <laughs> helping trying to figure out the the name of that. 
the number six protons of carbon, six electrons, and six neutrons. The number of man clutch. Yeah, thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you, widow. Uh, let's see here. So the next one is called the Blue Star Tattoo Legend. The Blue Star Tattoo Legend is an urban legend which states that a temporary lick and stick tattoo was soaked in LSD and made in the form of a blue star or a popular kids cartoon character was being distributed unknowingly to kids in any given area this uh, legend commonly surfaced in american elementary and middle schools in the form of a flyer which is distributed to the parents by concerned school officials in the past it was often in the form of poor quality photocopy clearly many generations old the legend states that a temporary lick and stick tattoo was soaked in lsd and made in the form of a blue star uh, perhaps like the logo of the Dallas Cowboys or a popular cartoon character such as Mickey Mouse and Bart Simpson. And it was getting distributed to all these kids. You know, you lick the, lick the stamp, put it in your arm, you have a tattoo. But unbeknownst to the, the, the little ones, it will be laced. Uh, generally, some attribution is given typically to a well-regarded hospital or a vaguely specified advisor president. Uh, and instructions are given the parents should contact police if they come, come across any of the blue star tattoos. The legend possibly originated from the fact that LSD is sometimes sold on blotter paper with various designs, including cartoon characters. Okay. No actual cases of LSD distribution in this manner has ever been documented or reported. Uh, although LSD does not penetrate through skin, it's sufficient quantities so as to induce a psychedelic experience. The concern was over kids licking this paper. Uh, and so it will be the licking that would, you know, actually deliver the, the LSD. And this legend has, it's kind of been passed everywhere. All over the countries, different groups and different stars. Let's see here. This is the Boo Hags. This is kind of interesting. This is pretty long. Okay, so what is a boo hag? This is a mythical creature and folklore of the Gula culture, which are an African-American ethnic group uh, who predominantly lived in the Lou County region in U.S. Uh, states of South, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So it is a locally created unique contribution to the worldwide hag or witch folklore based on the belief system of Gula or the Huru culture. The Huru culture is a set of spiritual practices, traditions, and beliefs that were created by enslaved African Americans in the southern United States uh, from various traditional African spirituality and elements. So according to the to the legend, um, there's an autobiographical account of uh, Jacob Stroyer, who was born enslaved in Southern Carolina in 1849. Stroyer wrote about hags and conjurers on a plantation in Southern Carolina. The witches among the, lay, the slaves were supposed to have been persons who worked with them every day and were called old hags or jack-lanterns. Those, both men and women, who, when they, were, uh, they grew old, looked odd, were supposed to be witches. Sometimes after eating supper, then um, the, uh, the blacks would gather into each other's cabins, which looked over the large opening of the plantation. And then they would see a light at a great distance and saw it open and shut. And they would say, there goes an old hag. And if it came from a certain direction where those uh, lived from whom they called witches, one would say, that looks like old Aunt Susan. And uh, Gulag folklore, the Boo Hag, 
are similar to vampires, but unlike vampires, they gain sustenance from a person's breath as opposed to their blood by riding their victims. So they would ride the victims, victims would get, you know, out of breath and they would uh, get their essence from them. They have no skin and are red. In order to be less conspicuous, they steal a victim's skin and use it for as long as it holds out, wearing it as one might wear clothing. So kind of like a shapeshifter also. They remove and hide the skin before going riding. So they would hide their skin with their kind of, you know, shape-shifting. And then they would go make, uh, go riding, they would call it. They would jump on their victim and make them run or make them do something exert, you know, exert in them so they could uh, breathe in their breath. When a hag determine a victim is suitable for riding, the hag generally gains access to the home through a small crack, crevice, or a hole. Then... Uh, the hag it uh, would go over uh, the sleeping uh, victim sucking in their breath. This act renders the victim helpless and induces a deep dreamlike filled sleep. The hag then tends to leave the victim alive so as to use them again for their energy. However, if the victim struggles, the hag may take their skin, leaving the victim to suffer. After taking the victim's energy, the hag flies off and they must be in their skin by dawn or be forever trapped without a skin. When the victim awakens, they they may feel short of breath, they may get sick or very dizzy, but generally the victim always feels almost only feels tired. Uh, an expression sometimes used in South Carolina is don't let the hag ride ya. This expression may come from the boo hag legends. Interesting. Let's see here. Okay, pretty good. Just kind of manning the, the comment section. The Brown Lady of Rainhelm Hall. What is that all about? Let's talk about this other urban legend. The Brown Lady of Rainhelm Hall is a ghost that reportedly haunts Rainhelm Hall in Norfolk, England. It became one of the most famous haunting in the United Kingdom when photographers from Country Life magazine claimed to have captured its image, the brown lady. Um, it's so named because of the brown brocade dress that claims that she is wearing in the image. And usually if you look at the brown lady or um, online, you can see an image that I'm sure you've seen before. According to the legend, the brown lady is the ghost of Dorothy Walpole, who lived from 1686 to 1726. She was a sister of Robert Walpole, generally regarded as the first Prime Minister of Great Britain. She was the second wife of Charles Townsend, second Viscount Townsend, who was a notorious for his violent temper. The story says that when Townsend discovered that his wife had committed adultery with Lord Wharton, he punished her by locking her in her room in the family home. Rainham, Rainham Hall. According to Mary Worldly Montague, Dorothy was in fact entrapped by the Countess of Wharton. She invited Dorothy over to stay for a few days, knowing that her husband would never allow her to leave, not even to see her kids. So she remained at Rainham Hall until her death in 1726 from smallpox. So after this, there's been a lot of sightings. Again, Country Magazine was able to photograph and uh, 
out of that was born this urban legend with documentation, may I add. Um, yeah. You guys, this is it's considered an urban legend. This is called, uh, you guys ever, if you ever watch or if you ever hear um, the Spanish uh, from Castile, like a, if you hear a, somebody that was born in Spain or if you watch uh, TV from Spain, you'll notice that they have this little lisp. They speak with a lisp. And uh, actually, there is a urban legend that's fun uh, in regards to how or why the Spanish from Spain tend to speak with a lisp. So, um, in Spanish dialectology, that's a study of language, the realization of coronal fricatase is the most prominent feature. So, I guess that, that's what it's called, coronal fricatives. That's a lisping effect the main three realizations are phonem uh, phonemic distinction between the B and the S and then there's also different um, words that has this proper uh, lisping effect if you will so the long and short of it is that this is attributed to an urban legend um, that there was a Spanish king that actually spoke with a lisp and people wanted to emulate how the king spoke and so then they started picking up the lisp to sound more like set king so um yeah so that's that's where the lisp come and that's what i've, I've heard before I've, I've, I've always thought it was a true story believe it or not but this myth has been discredited by scholars um and they kind of they they traced it back to where Peter of Castile said that was was the person that was attributed to this this lisp. So I want to know if so it, it was an urban legend. Um, I want to know where it comes from, but it doesn't really go. It just kind of talks about the the urban legend that it came from from a king. So it doesn't it did not come from a king, but it's very noticeable if you speak Spanish, you can fully tell when somebody's from Spain. Okay, let me. We just kind of mad the lines here. I hope you guys are having a good time and enjoying our urban legends. Uh, I hope you guys are able to share this with your friends or just promote the channel. Please like like the the video so it helps me. And if you haven't subscribed to us, we have uh, the Strange Days Live uh, accounts in TikTok. We also have Instagram under the same name. And we have this channel and we're also on like 50 different platforms for podcasting under Strange Days Paranormal. So the, the only difference in our name comes to when it's a podcast, which I title them Strange Days Paranormal. So if you're in any application and you'd like to listen to podcasts or you want to listen to these episodes again, look for strange days paranormal as opposed to strange days life everywhere else we are strange days life even in our um if you guys go to our website www.strangedayslive.com strange days live i don't know what i'm saying live so probably i picked up the little lisp the spanish lisp now
strangedayslive.com is uh, has all our archives, has all the live shows. It has some of our social media connection. And um, if you are doing the podcasting, then that's where you can look for Strange Days Paranormal. And the reason that I put it paranormal there uh, is because most people, when they look for par- paranormal podcasts, they'll be able to see our channel. Because otherwise, Strange Days Live doesn't really tell you much. So yeah, with that being said, we'll dive into a few more before we... Um, we call it a day. I'm trying to keep these shows, the, the shows short, just to an hour. The Choking and Doberman urban legend originated in the U.S. Story involves a protective pet found by its owner gagging on human fingers lodged in his throat. As the story unfolds, the dog's owner discovers an intruding, an intruder on their property whose hand is bleeding from the dog bite. Um, A woman goes out from the evening with friends, and when she comes home, she is greeted by her pet Doberman who's choking in the hallway. Very alarmed, she takes the pet to the vet. The vet announces that they must perform a tracheostomy, which is, you know, when you cut the little bottom of of your neck in order to to let air in, or the animal um, will not be able to make it. So when the woman arrives home, the vet calls and tells her to leave the house at once. The dog was choking on three human fingers. The woman calls the police who search the house and they discover the burglar hiding in a closet passed out from blood loss caused by having three fingers bitten off. I'd never heard this one before. That's very cool. That's the choking Doberman. Uh, that's pretty cool. Let's see this one. This is called, this is kind of a takeoff on another urban legend, but we'll read it. Clown doll. A similar urban legend is the clown doll statue or the clown doll. A babysitter is unnerved by what she assumes is a hideous life-size statue of a clown in the corner of a room. So this babysitter gets hired for the night and then she freaks out when she finds that there's a full-size statue of a clown sitting in the room. When the mom or the father of the children uh, she is caring for uh, calls home to check on the kids, the babysitter asks if she can cover the clown statue with a blanket because it's very disturbing. But then the parents inform the babysitter that they don't have a clown statue and the statue was really a bad man with dwarfism that is dressed in a cloud custom holding a knife. Huh. Never heard of that either. Let's see. Oh, I remember this one because we used to have, I used to have, well, not this particular one. This is called the crying boy. I used to have a, uh, this when I was a kid, it was pretty, it was pretty pretty popular urban uh, legend. The crying boy is a mass produced print of a painting by Italian painter Giovanni Bragolin. He lived from 1911 to 1981. This was the pen name of the pen of the painter Bruno Amarillo. It is widely distributed in the 50s and onwards. If you look at an image of the cry boy, the crying boy painting, I'm sure you've probably seen it seen it before. And basically there's uh, the, the, um, 
urban legend says that on September 5th, 1985, the British tabloid paper The Sun reported that an Essex firefighter claimed that undamaged copies of the painting were frequently found amidst the ruin of burned houses. By the end of November, belief in the painting's curse were widespread enough that the sound was organizing mass bonfires of the painting sent in by readers. So if you own one of these paintings, your house will burn and then the painting will be the only thing to survive. Steve Punt, a British writer and comedian, investigated the curse in BBC uh, Radio 4 production called Punt Pie. The conclusion reached by the program following testing of the building research establishment is that the prints were treated with a varnish containing fire retardant and that the string holding the painting to the wall will be the first thing to deteriorate, resulting in the painting landing face down on the floor and thus being protected. That's cool. Dave Clark, investigative journalist, says that the story naming the child as Don Bonillo or Diablo did not emerge uh, until 2000 in a book that came out. They relate the child to several fires, including the painter's studios. However, he says that there's absolutely no truth whatsoever to any of it. Interesting, huh? How like an urban legend actually has a, an explanation to it behind it. That's what people were, you know, it's, it's a mass-produced picture. A lot of people bought it. And then obviously, you know, houses go up on flames. And since this picture was treated with a fire retardant and the string was about, the string would burn, picture would flop over, would get protected by the fire, and then people were attributing it, uh, misfortune to this painting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's see here. And I think we'll end. This is, well, this is pretty. Let's see. This will be our last one for the evening. The Dark Watchers. The Dark Watchers, uh, also known by early Spanish settling settlers as the Black, uh, the Vigilantes Oscuros, or yeah, the the vigil uh, the black oscuros is yeah like darker and vigilantes is people that look yeah so dark watchers is a good translation it's a name given to a group of entities in california folklore purportedly seen by observing travels around uh, around the santa lucia mountains um so people would see these groups of people watching them from the Santa Lucia Mountains in California, they're described as very uh, as tall, sometimes giant-sized, featureless, dark silhouettes, silhouettes often adorned with brim hats or walking sticks. They are most often reported to be seen in hours around twilight or dawn, and they are said to motionly, motionlessly watch travelers from the horizon along the Santa Lucia Mountain Range. According to the legend, no one has seen one up close, and if someone were to approach him, then the watchers would disappear. While sometimes attributed to the Native American Chumash people in that area, who historically inhabited the central and southern coastal regions of California, um, when Spanish settlers first moved into the area, they were said to have witnessed the dark watchers. Uh, so these they, they could have been, you know, Indians that inherited that in the, that. Uh, that region, which, you know, lends, lends to a lot of credibility, actually. Uh, John Steinbeck's son, Thomas Steinbeck, uh, would grow up to report having actually seen a dark watcher during his childhood 
And later along um, with artist Benjamin Brody, they collaborated on a book titled In Search of the Dark Watchers, where they go into the history of the legend and interview locals who claim to have seen them. So and right now, there's a lot of stuff on online about people seeing giants on top of mountains, which funnily enough, it's like a new phenomenon. So if you go on YouTube and you search uh, giants or s giant sightings, there's a lot of people that have been reporting seeing people, especially on mountain sites. So yeah, these things either keep recycling or there's really something out there that, um, you know, that is mysterious, if you will. All right, guys. So again, thank you for listening. Um, <clears throat> thank you for being part of the show. And uh, as always, wish you guys have a great day tomorrow. God bless you. And thank you for your support. And I hope you have a great night. Signing off. This is Doc from Strange Days Live. <laughs>